This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 5. I want you to use your imagination tonight. We still have imaginations, don't we? All right. Well, come with me to a remote island. And there you stand alone, when suddenly a door opens, a door into a different realm. And as the door opens, you hear unearthly sounds, you hear a booming voice that beckons you to come inside. And then, without any action of your own, you find yourself through the door, you're surrounded by sights unlike anything you've ever imagined. There's a group of two dozen respectable-looking figures seated in a circle. Each one wears a pure white robe and a glittering crown. Flying around, there are four creatures that are both entirely unlike anything you've ever seen, and yet vaguely familiar, reminiscent of earthly animals, but far more majestic and fearful. There's a din of thunder and indiscernible voices. There's lightning, there's fire, and all of it swirls around a central figure sitting on a throne. So clothed with light and glory that you cannot see or describe his appearance. Altogether, it's a stunning experience, a setting unlike anything you can put into words. And then in the midst of all this overwhelming sound and glory, you discover that in this realm there is a dilemma. An ancient volume is held in the right hand of the great figure on the throne. And the volume is sealed. The messengers of the realm have searched high and low for a hero who is strong enough to break those seals, but none has been found. And the king has the one on the throne. He has great purposes to fulfill, but it is imperative that those seals be broken or his plan to conquer and to make new the land of his enemy cannot go forward. And though you have just entered that throne room, the thought of this glorious king's wonderful plan being brought to a halt fills you with sorrow to the point that tears flow from your eyes until one of those white-robed figures approaches you and tells you to dry your tears. A hero has been found. One who is strong enough to break the great seals that bind the book. And this great hero is about to enter. Now, much of this sounds like it could be a vivid dream or a sci-fi novel. But I'm sure many of you recognize the experiences that John describes in Revelation chapters 4 and 5. As he enters the heavenly throne room, and as the cry goes out for a hero to open the seals of the book, well, that hero is the one we will consider this evening. And as we've considered this last book of the Bible, the revelation of Jesus Christ, Uh, We've already looked at this hero. We've seen Christ as the glorious God in Revelation chapter 1. We have seen him as the jealous bridegroom in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. And now in Revelation 5, we'll see him again. The same Christ, unveiled, 
but in a different character than we've seen him before. So enter the throne room with with me as I read from Revelation chapter 5. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven, nor in earth, neither under the earth was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the... the, I'm sorry, of the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. The hero enters, and John turns his eyes to see, and what does he see? He sees a lamb. A lamb? The great hero is a lamb? Today is the second day of spring, which means that in many places uh, they're entering lambing season. Uh, Pastures in the United States, in the UK, and elsewhere will soon be filled with tiny little lambs. And lambs are one of those animals that we associate with spring uh, because of their innocent beauty, their fresh, feeble new life. They are a sign of life, a sign of things to come, but they're weak, they're dependent, they're frail. Somebody might look at a lamb and say it's cute, but no one is impressed or intimidated by a lamb. When C.S. Lewis penned the Chronicles of Narnia, He wanted to choose the right animal to represent Christ. And he chose a lion, strong and fearless, ferocious. But though the Holy Spirit through John calls Christ here the lion of the tribe of Judah, when John looks at him, he sees not a lion, but a lamb. You're not supposed to make the hero of the story a lamb. If you know your Bible, you're probably used to hearing Jesus called the Lamb. But imagine with me the shock of the Jews. That day, in John chapter 1, on the banks of the Jordan, John the Baptist is there and he points to Jesus Christ. He calls out to to the crowd and he says, Behold, not the Lion of Judah, not the King of the Jews, but the Lamb of God. And the lamb standing in the throne room in Revelation chapter 5 is not just a lamb in all its innocence and weakness. He is a slain lamb. Could there be a more pitiful picture of weakness, of wasted life? A dead lamb. A picture of the sacrifices that were offered over and over by the Jews, in an effort to cover their sins, an innocent life 
taken away. And as in Revelation 5, we turn our eyes to see the hero of John's story, we see a weak image, a lamb as it had been slain. But this figure, so apparently a picture of abject frailty, complete helplessness, unrivaled weakness, is the one who is able to take the book from the right hand of the king on the throne. And Revelation 5.8 tells us what happened next. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, and having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints, and they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings, and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. The lamb may be weak in appearance, but he is worthy. I find it fascinating here that the elders don't say, you are worthy even though you died. No, they say, you are worthy because you died. This is so wonderful to me. He's not the hero despite the fact that he died. He's the hero because he died. Get this, because as we move through the book of Revelation, over and over again, we're going to see the lamb. And over and over again, he'll be triumphant. He'll be the victor. He'll be the judge. He'll be the great leader of his armies. But he's the lamb. He's the great conqueror, but he's still the lamb. He embraced weakness. He became obedient unto death. He allowed himself to become the scum of the earth in the world's eyes, the object of venomous hatred, cruel mockery, physical pain that I can't imagine. He became a shameful spectacle, humbled, trodden down, spit upon, dismissed, and reviled. And why? Well, look at the song that the elders sing. Thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and hast made us Unto our God, kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. The Lamb was slain so we could be redeemed, so we could reign. I hope that fills your heart this evening. He's still the everlasting God, but he became a lamb and was ruthlessly slaughtered for me. That certainly makes him worthy of praise. That certainly makes him worthy of the song that is sung to him by these elders. But we still might ask the question, but why, why does his death make him worthy to open the book? Why is the fact that he died make him worthy to take this book and to open the seals? Well, people conjecture about what exactly this book is. 
Now, we read book, of course, and we think of a big family Bible or something. Um, of course, in John's day, it would have been a scroll. That's what a book would look like back then. So you can imagine this scroll. It's written on the inside and the outside, both sides. Rolled up, seven seals. But what is this scroll that the king, God, on the throne holds in his right hand? Well, I don't pretend to know all of what's written in that book. The Bible doesn't tell us. But it is clear that this is the book of God's judgment. Because as the Lamb takes the book, as the seals are broken, judgment is poured out. It begins in the next chapter. So why does the death of the Lamb make him the worthy one to open the scroll and unleash the judgment? Well, this is both a wonderful and sobering truth. I hope that we understand God, God's control. God has an agenda for the ages. From the very beginning of the world in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, all the way up until the human history is wrapped up in the book of Revelation, the story of the world has been unfolding according to God's plan. It continues to unfold according to God's plan. God created it all, and he saw that it was good. Man disobeyed and fell into sin, and God began to make his redemptive purpose known to man. And through the Bible, through the Old Testament, all the way to the time of Christ, we see as God makes this plan known to man. He shows man his sin, his need for a savior, and reveals more and more truth about this. Until one day, outside Jerusalem, hanging on a cross, Jesus of Nazareth, the Lamb of God, cries out, It is finished. God has been revealing this story all along, all the way from the beginning, the fall, sin is introduced, all the way up until Christ, he's been revealing his plan of salvation, and then Christ says, it is finished. The chapter has been written. The gospel is done. It's been completed. The way of salvation has been opened. With Jesus' disciples, the next chapter began as the gospel, the good news of the Lamb, began to be preached. And as the followers of Jesus obeyed his commission, they spread that good news through the world. And it's wonderful to see as that begins in the book of Acts and to follow history and to see as faithful servants through the ages have gone into the corners of the world sharing the gospel, proclaiming the good news of the Lamb. Jesus Christ closed out that chapter by saying, it is finished, the work of salvation is done, and he said, and now the next chapter is bring that gospel to the world. Tell everyone. Share the good news. And those who have continued to be committed disciples have gone out overwhelmed by his love, by the sacrifice of the, of the lamb. And they've cried out, he died to save the world. For his sake, let us tell them so they can be saved. And that chapter of the story, God's story of human history, is still being written. 
the gospel continues to spread through the world. God's great story of the world is still unfolding, but the last chapter has already been written. And that's what we're reading from tonight in the book of Revelation. We know what's going to happen. One day, God will decide that the chapter that we're in right now is over. And it's time for the last chapter to begin. And the Lamb will step forward to break the seals of the great book, and judgment will fall. And he is worthy to open that book because he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. He played his part in the story of redemption. He cried it is finished because he died for our sins and opened that way of salvation. He wrote the good news with his blood. It is only because he completed that chapter. He completed the work of redemption. That the chapter we're in, the spreading of that good news, could ever begin. It's only because of what Christ did that the last chapter could ever come to pass. And so because he did that work, because he completed the work of salvation, because he gave himself up, he is the one who is worthy one day to say, the, the time of proclaiming the good news is over, and the last chapter, God's judgment falling on the world, it's time. And he is worthy because he was slain to redeem us. He gave us salvation. He gave us the good news. He gave us every opportunity. It's wonderful news, but it's, it's sobering. Because we live in a day of opportunity. The door of salvation is wide open. Jesus Christ, when he said it is finished, the door is wide open. Come unto me. Come and be saved, all the ends of the world, of, of the earth. The opportunity is wide open. The gospel has been given to us. We've been given the Great Commission. It's time to share it. It's time for the world to see Christ and come to him and be saved. But one day, the opportunity will be over. Jesus Christ the Lamb made the way of salvation. He opened the door, and one day he, the worthy one, will step forward and take that book, and the door will close. He's worthy. Because he was slain. 2 Peter 3.9 tells us that the Lord is long-suffering to us. He's patient. Man, I'm glad he's patient. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He is patient because he desires that all would be saved. But the next verse, verse 10 says, But the day of the Lord will come. One day, the day of patience, the day of long-suffering will end, and the day of judgment will come. But the Lamb is worthy. What a paradox this is. What a shock this must have been to John. 
to hear this great proclamation about the hero who's coming in, and then he looks and he sees a lamb as it had been slain. But the lamb is worthy. It is a paradox, but what a wonderful picture it is of the paradox of true power. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says that he longs to know the resurrection power of Christ. Who among us can say that we don't want to know the resurrection power of Christ? The power that raised Christ from the dead, do you want to experience that? Do you want that power at work in your life? Absolutely. We want to experience that power. We want to see God at work with that kind of power. But what does Paul say about his desire for that power? In Philippians 3.10, he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection in the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. The power of God comes through suffering. The power of God comes through death. Weakness is the avenue for God's strength. And what more vivid picture of that principle could we find than the slain lamb who is able to take the book? No one is found. No angel is strong enough. No man is strong enough. But the slain lamb is strong enough. Let's turn again to Revelation 5. You may still be there. And take a look at the worship that rises in honor of the Lamb. Take a look with me at verses 11 through 14. The Bible says, And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them. Heard I saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever. And ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshiped him that liveth forever and ever. It's one of those wonderful glimpses that we get. Pastor mentioned this morning of what's going on in the presence of God. The Lamb is worthy. And the worship he deserves will continue forever and ever and ever and ever. And here we are, we're reminded of that, that reality as we see a hundred million angels joining the elders, joining the four flying creatures, and even the animals of earth, sea, and sky. We sang that song this morning, all creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing. And sometimes we think, the creatures, the animals, really? Yeah, really. Look at Revelation chapter 5. 
The creatures of earth and sea and sky, they join in the song of praise to the Lamb. And one day, you and I are physically going to be present to join in that song of praise. Hallelujah. For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Worthy is the Lamb. The Lamb is a picture of weakness, but He is worthy. And for all eternity, He will receive the worship that He so richly deserves. But what about us now? What about today? Say we see into the future, we see that one day the judgment's going to begin, the worship, things are going to be made right, worship will be to the Lamb, and it's all going to be wonderful and joyful and praise to God for all eternity, and what a day that will be. But what about now? I can say, well, can't wait for that. Well, a couple of things tonight. First of all, recognize that God's ways are not our ways. That weakness is the avenue for God's strength. That life rises from death. The lion is the lamb. Greatness in the eyes of the world and greatness in God's eyes look very different. And what the world mocks, God may magnify. So stop trying to be a lion if God wants you to be a lamb. Stop trying to be praised if God wants you to be mocked. Stop trying to look for the world's approval and surrender to God's way instead. Paul said this of him and his companions in 1 Corinthians 4. He said, We are made as the filth of the world and are the off-scouring of all things unto this day. That was what Paul had to say about the way that the world looked at them. The world looks at the lamb and they laugh. Or maybe they just feel sorry. That's really who you're worshiping. That's really who you look up to, the lamb that was slain. The carpenter who got crucified. That's your God. That's the one who's worthy to take the book and open the seals thereof. Not despite the fact that he died. Not despite the fact that the world mocked him. But because of that. Because he became weak. Because he made himself of no reputation. Because he took the form of a servant. Because he was obedient unto death. He's worthy. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. So recognize that God's ways are not our ways. We need to get away from looking at ourselves or judging ourselves by the way the world looks at us. We might pat ourselves on the back because the world thinks that we're pretty great. We might be discouraged because the world thinks that we're the scum of the earth. But at the end of the day, what the world thinks doesn't matter. 
God's perspective is what matters. And then, and then secondly, first recognize God's ways are not our ways. Secondly, worship the Lamb. He is worthy of power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Give your life to praising and proclaiming the worthiness of the slain Lamb. Behold the Lamb yourself and call others to behold the Lamb. He is not the hero that sinners may want, but he is the Savior that they need. Yes, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The Lamb is worthy. We need to worship him. We need to call others to worship him. I'm going to show you on the screen the emblem of the Moravian church. It's a lamb carrying a banner emblazoned with a cross. And around the lamb and the banner are the words, Our lamb has conquered. Let us follow him. The Moravian church was an offshoot of the uh, followers of John Huss, who was a Christian martyr in the early 1400s. Three centuries after him, there were a group of these believers who had fled persecution. They were living in Moravia. But there was division, there was infighting among this small pocket of believers. It was a small group, but they still had these, these divisions. They were fighting about things. They were, honestly, they were close to, to breaking apart. Until August 13, 1727. That morning during a special communion service, the Spirit of God came down in power on that group of Moravian believers. They likened it to the day of Pentecost. There were those who left who said they, weren't, they, they, they didn't know how to feel after the experience. They weren't sure if they were even still on earth anymore or if they'd already gone to heaven. God just came down and touched that group of believers in an incredible way, and that amazing outpouring of God's Spirit resulted not only in unity and the growth of that church, but also it sparked a passionate worldwide missionary movement that was unlike anything of its day. Within 30 years, the small Moravian church had sent hundreds of missionaries to the Caribbean, to the American colonies, to South America, to the Arctic, to Africa, to the Far East, all over the world. Remember, this is the early 1700s. But these missionaries are going out. Unlike anything any other church was doing at that point. But God touched them, and they knew, we've got to go. Moravian missionaries reached, reached out to neglected people groups, like the Indian tribes in the American colonies, like slaves. They went to unimaginable lengths. They made tremendous sacrifices in order to spread the gospel. On their way to reach slaves in the West Indies with the gospel, two Moravian missionaries, uh, David Nietzschmann and Johann Dober, expressed their willingness to become slaves themselves in order to reach slaves with the gospel. 
said they were willing to enter slavery in order to reach slaves of the gospel. They were willing to make what to us are unimaginable sacrifices. Moravians left their families, friends, fellow believers to sail around the world spreading the good news of Jesus Christ in a time when most of the time doing that meant the likelihood of ever getting back home to see your family was fairly slight. So what was the motivation for this incredible movement, for these hundreds of missionaries going all over the world? Well, their motivation was the worthiness of the Lamb. In fact, the heart cry of that missions movement is said to be, may the Lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. In other words, he died to save them, and he deserves for them to hear the gospel. They might not deserve it. They don't deserve it. They're lost sinners. But he deserves the reward of his suffering. He died to save them, and he deserves for us to go and tell them so they can be saved. That was their motivation. That was why they left their families. That was why they said, we'll make any sacrifice. We'll go to any place on earth. We'll reach out to any people group for the Lamb. You know, I'm excited because as we continue to study through the amazing book of Revelation, this is definitely not the last time we're going to see the Lamb. He's all throughout this book. And over and over again, we'll be reminded of the worthiness of the Lamb. To the very last, even as we will step out of time into eternity future, the Lamb is still the hero of the story. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Toward the hope of our high calling, toward the promise we've received. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.